and reach out to those in, in need, Lord. And we thank you for this church, God. And I just pray for Pastor Mark too, Lord, as he preaches us your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would just speak through him. In Jesus' name, amen. I would have got to that eventually. Uh, good morning, church. Oh, thank you so much for joining us here this morning, whether you're here in person or joining us online. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you, open them up to, with, with, together uh, to the book of Acts. Uh, still in Acts chapter 5 this morning as we continue our series looking at the book of Acts. Um, and as we come to this passage, we once again see the church uh, facing pressure and persecution. Uh, which happens in the early church. All the, it actually reminded me, it's an old story of one pastor who was complaining sort of about the lack of you know, zeal in his church. And he said, you know, everywhere the apostle Paul went, there were riots, but everywhere I go, they serve tea. Um, you know, just sometimes, uh, that's kind of how I feel when we come to this passage. Uh, what, we're, what we see happening here is not sort of what we expect of most pastors or churches today, uh, but the apostles find themselves in jail, uh, under arrest once again, and this is actually not going to be the last time. Well, it's not the first time either. Uh, I looked into it this week, found in the book of Acts alone, uh, there's eight different times that church leaders uh, were either arrested or detained or put in jail or something like that. Um, does that make them repeat offenders? I don't even know what, what that would... But uh, interestingly enough, of those eight imprisonments, uh, three of them actually include miraculous sort of overnight escapes. And actually one of those escapes is found in our passage this morning, and that brings us to the sort of the lesson of our sermon this morning, uh, which is how to become a breakout church. Uh, and it's quite a long passage, but I encourage you to sort of follow along with me as we work our way through it. Acts chapter 5, uh, verses 17 to 42. Acts 5, verses 17 to 42. It says this, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now when the high priest came and all those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the, temp the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard this, they were greatly perplexed about them. Wondering, what is this? What this would come to? And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, 
We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, the Christ is Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask once again, Lord, that you would be with us, that you would send your Holy Spirit among us. Uh, Lord, as your truth is proclaimed, that Lord, it would be truth that just we capture with our hearts. Um, Lord, that this truth would not be just something that our ears hear, but Lord, something that our lives take hold of. Uh, Lord, that this would be something that leads us into not just greater maturity of faith, but greater, greater obedience uh, to the call that you have put on our lives as Christians. Um, yeah, Lord, give us your Holy Spirit. Empower me as your, as your servant to, to, to speak these words. And uh, Lord, yeah, we just welcome you to be the teacher among us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, sometimes, every so often, you'll hear someone say something along the lines of, what we need churches today to do is return to their New Testament roots. We, need, we should be in our churches today more like the New Testament church. Which always begs the question, well, exactly which New Testament church are these guys referring to? Do they mean the church in Jerusalem with its rampant infighting and racial division uh, do they mean the church in Thessalonica that had simply gotten lazy and was just waiting around for Jesus to come back? Do they mean the church in Colossae that was struggling with false teachers or the church in Corinth where the people were committing sins that were so bad they made even the pagans blush? Um, the reality is that even in the early church, there were no perfect churches. But you know what? Even as we take a look at the book of Acts, we do see one thing that I think really sets the New Testament church and churches apart. There's one common theme that runs from start to finish, and that is throughout the pages of Acts, we see in the church a passion for sharing the gospel. Uh, because you can basically open your Bible to the 
book of Acts, any chapter, sort of any verse, and chances are you'll probably find someone trying to find something. see in our passage before us. Uh, and I've titled this sermon, Becoming a Breakout Church, uh, because while the apostles literally have, are breaking out of jail, um, I think even more importantly, what we are seeing is this church doing the things that every church needs to do to break into the world uh, with the good news of Jesus Christ. Fulfilling that theme, that theme verse of Acts, Acts 1 verse 8, where Jesus tells his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's our calling as Christians. That's our calling as a church. And we already see this happening. Uh, even in fact, you don't have to go far back. The first half of chapter 5 in the book of Acts talks about how this church was making a difference in the lives of the people of Jerusalem. Uh, how the sick and the tormented and the outcasts, anyone in need, they were starting to come to the church because they knew that the church would bring help and healing. People's lives were better. People were being blessed in Jerusalem because the church existed. In fact, you can almost think of that as a bonus lesson this morning. That a breakout church is a church that is actively being a blessing to its community. And out of that blessing, all of, the, all of, all of that good that was happening because of this church, the church found the opportunity to proclaim the gospel and preach Jesus' name the people and people were being saved. Uh, Acts 5, verse 14, it tells us again, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. The church was changing lives with the good news of Jesus Christ, and they were changing the world uh, all around them. And that's the context uh, as we come to the passage we have before us this morning. Beginning in verse 17, we read, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And here's another lesson we need to learn about becoming a breakout church. And that is a breakout church has a message that the world needs to hear. Um, you know, many years ago, I, I read about a survey of church workers who were attending the Billy Graham's uh, crusade in Detroit. They were being trained as, as the people who follow up with people who come forward. And the question was asked, what is your greatest hindrance to witnessing? And I was shocked to learn that of that survey, 28% of those people responded, it was because they felt they didn't really have any information to share. And to me, that was crazy. It was shocking. How can someone who knows the truth of the gospel still feel like they don't have anything of importance to share? Because the gospel is news about life itself. The angel even says it in verse 20. Go and stand in the temple court. Speak to the people all the words of this life. How can sharing words of life to a world that is dying in sin, not mean everything. And I've said this to you before, but when the Bible speaks about Jesus, it says many things, but one thing that is, comes through loud and clear is that Jesus is life. John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he dies, even he yet shall he live. Uh, John 5.21, Jesus says, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. John 14.6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He's the living door. He's the resurrection, the bread of life, the water of life, the light of the world, and the light of life. Jesus speaks and diseases are no more. He speaks and demons flee. He speaks and the dead walk. He turns mourning into dancing. He turns sorrow into joy. And he's the, he's the Lord of life. And it is life that Jesus offers to those who believe in him. And the apostles were told, tell the people the message of this new life. In fact, they were freed from jail for that very purpose. You know, they weren't freed so they could escape punishment because they are going to be punished later. I mean, it just delays it. No, they are freed so that they can preach the message of life to people. And yet something I found sort of interesting in this passage is that when the angels spoke those words to the apostles, that's exactly what they were already doing. Uh, so much so that a little later in our passage, verse 28, the high priest says, we strictly charge you not to teach in the name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Jerusalem was already filled with the teaching of the apostles about Jesus. People were already being saved by the thousands. Every day we read God was adding to their number. You know, telling the apostles to preach is kind of like telling a fish to swim. It's almost, almost redundant. They were doing it already. And yet the angel tells them, go Stand in the temple court and tell people the full message of this new life. And honestly, what that tells me is that God didn't want them to miss a single day or even a single opportunity for people to be saved. Even having the apostles locked up you know, for a single day in jail was too long of a wait when the harvest fields were so ripe. Because, and I want you to hear this, the message of life is too important to wait. It's too important for us to just think we can put it off for another day when the opportunities are before us. There's an actual quote by an atheist that has always haunted me. Because this atheist basically said this. He said, if I believed in hell as Christians do, I would crawl on my hands and knees around the world to tell even one person how to escape its sorrow. You see, the message of life cannot wait. And many had been saved in Jerusalem already, but there were still countless more who needed to hear. And the church had the message. Which leads to this, verse 21. And when they heard this, they entered the temple court at daybreak, and they began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him and they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and they reported, we found the prison securely locked, the guards standing at the door, but we opened them and found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came to them and told them, look, 
The men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went to them, and not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, I guess I always kind of find these events hilarious because I don't know, maybe it's just the way I picture it in my mind, but in my mind, yeah, I, you know, I picture there's this great assembly of very powerful men, sort of, who have all gathered, you know, and all the pomp and the ceremony and the dignity of judges on full display, you know, but then it just, it kind of just turns into this kangaroo court where no one seems to know what's going on at all, and because the apostles have escaped without a trace, and everyone's confused, and they're scratching their head, and they don't know what's happening, and they don't know what it's going to come to, and just when you figure someone's going to send out a search party, you know, to find these fugitives who must be on the run, you know, someone shows up and says, oh, found them, like, they're right back where they were yesterday, where they're, pre- you know, we arrested them there, they're back there, the uh, same place they've been every day for the last, you know, months, uh, which probably makes this the worst escape plan in history if you just go right back to where they found you in the first place. Uh, but it wasn't the worst plan because it was God's plan. Um, so they go, they go to the temple, they bring the apostles back, and they make the same demand of them, again, that they made the last time they were arrested. They say, you have to stop proclaiming the, the gospel. You have to stop telling people about Jesus. And the apostles give them the same response. No, we're not doing that. They said, if we're forced to obey either you or God, we are going to choose God every single time. And here's our next lesson about a breakout church. Because a breakout church is a church that lets God set the agenda. And you know what? Even though we don't have people telling us we can't preach the gospel uh, here today, the reality is there's there's many churches that don't. Because there's still things that can distract us from that calling. There's still things as as a church that can get us off track. Still things that can cause us to lose that focus on on being a gospel-proclaiming church. And you know, Peter and the rest of the apostles, they couldn't say to Jesus, you know what, Jesus, thanks for the rescue from prison. But, you know, about that evangelism thing, it's... You know, it's, it's really dangerous. It makes a lot of people kind of uncomfortable. So we're thinking of taking the church in a different direction. That, you know, no. They don't get that choice. Because as a church, we cannot let ourselves get distracted after running out of things. We need to let God set the agenda. And God's agenda for the church includes us actively sharing the gospel and being witnesses to Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the next part of our passage. Uh, Verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged. And they wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of law held in honor by all the people, he stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody 
A number of men, about 400, joined him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and they came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And you know, I think sometimes when we read our Bibles, we can get this sense that these groups, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and teachers of the law, that they were sort of all homogeneous, that they all, you know, sort of had a hive mind, that they all acted and thought and felt the same way, like a herd of cattle, you know, on every matter. But, you know, the reality is, is that these groups were still made up of individuals, and those individuals still had their own thoughts and opinions about various things. And, and one of the guys, uh, one of those individuals in this group was a guy named Gamaliel, uh, and you could say Gamaliel was greatly respected among the people and among his peers, but I, that's an understatement. Um, the Mishnah, which is a record of Jewish teaching from about this time, actually says about him, since Rabbi Gamaliel the elder died, there's been no more reverence for the law and purity and piety died. Uh, wow, like this guy was really, really well respected. Um, and Gamaliel, this greatly respected man, he makes a very simple point to this group of leaders. He says, you know what? We've seen this before. Um, Other men, other leaders have risen up. They've started a movement. They've caused a stir among the people over the years. But, you know, as quickly as things escalated, they died out as soon as those leaders died. And they all came to nothing. So he says, so if what we are seeing now is only the work of men, why are we even bothered by it? It's just going to be a flash in the pan. But if the apostles are being led by God himself, then what is the use in even trying to oppose them because God will not be stopped? And to be honest, that is like some pretty wise advice. Um, That is great counsel. In fact, when Gamaliel speaks, I actually can't help but see the mistake that many churches are still making even today. Because there's many churches and ministries out there that are building their ministries around human things. They're being built upon people, built upon sort of celebrity. You know, the dynamic pastor bringing people into the pews. But how often have we seen when that pastor leaves, or is worse, discredited, the church implodes and the ministry just dies? Or There's churches that are sort of, they depend on having the best worship team in town, putting on the best show, you know, having people flock to hear them play and, you know, smoke machines and laser lights and entertain the people. Or maybe there are lots of churches basing their church on programs. We'll offer people shop. You know, the the church shoppers are going to find all of their needs met in one place and they'll feel like satisfied shoppers. And those kind of things can grow a church. They can make a church bigger. They can make a church popular. But none of those things can make a church matter for eternity. If you want to make a splash, you can entertain people. But if you want to build the kingdom of God, 
We need to focus on faithfulness and live in obedience to Christ. Of course, obedience is not nearly as flashy or as appealing to most people, but obedience is the way we change the world as Christians. And the lesson here we need to learn, and I think this may be the most important one we hear this morning, is that a breakout church is an unstoppable force in the world if it remains obedient to God. And I want to show you sort of what I mean. I don't usually do this, but I'm going to do something I rarely do. Math. I'm going to do math, which is terrifying for me. But uh, I want you to, I want to give you what I think is a simple illustration of just how powerful obedience to God can be when it's at work. So just put on your imagination caps for just a few minutes. And imagine this. Somehow we belong to a church that could in the next year, let's say, bring a thousand people to Christ. Uh, whatever, we do some advertising, uh, get the worship team matching uniforms, because that probably would do it. You know, whatever we do, we do something, and a thousand people are saved and added to our church. Now imagine that we could not just do that this year, but we could do that next year and the year after that, and year after year after year, we could do it over and over again. Add a thousand people every year to our church. I can assure you that in a few short years, we would be the church in Canada everyone is talking about. There would be newspaper articles written about us. There would be conferences held saying, you know, what are you guys doing? And people would try to copy the things that we're doing so that they could have the same kind of success in their church. And then we celebrated our 50th anniversary a few years ago. But in 50 more years, if we were to do that, we could be a church that's 50,000 people strong. In 150 years, we would be a church 150,000 people strong. And in 250 years, we would be a church of a quarter of a million people. Like, wow, like that's amazing. Think about that. And you know what? God could do that if he wanted to. But you know what? I, th I think we all suspect that's not too likely to happen. So now what if we did things just a little bit lower key? And in saying this, this is not only an application. I want this to be a challenge to you personally. Because what if instead of reaching a thousand people a year, every year, every person here just focused on reaching one other person? That's it, one other person. And you take time to, to get to know that person. You build a relationship with them. You, you visit them. You call them on the phone. You check in with them and see how they're doing. You show them love. You, you care for them when there's, they have needs. You spend time with their family. And you're just there for them long term, you know, through the good times, through the hard times, through the ups and downs. You're just a faithful friend. And over the years, you celebrate and you laugh and you cry together. And you pray for that person every single day. And then say, after five years of building that friendship, you have an opportunity to share Christ with that person and they accept Jesus as their Savior. And you know, five years is not an unusual amount of time to invest when you're reaching out to people. But you're patient and you're faithful, so you keep at it and you see that one person find salvation. But you know what? You're not done yet. Because now you take another five years 
and you disciple that person. You show them how to live. You show them how they can pray, how to read their Bible, how to, you know, interact with people. You get them involved serving at the church and get them into a Bible study. You know, you get them growing in their faith. And most importantly, you, again, you show that person how they too can now share their faith with, with another person. So after 10 years, where once there was just you, one person, now there are two. There's you and your friend. And both of you are now fully equipped to share the gospel. And then the two of you, well, you do that all over again. Let me show you what that would mean if every person in our church made that kind of a commitment. And it's summer, things are slow, COVID happened, not everybody's back. But for the, just for the sake of having a number, let's say there's 100 people here on a Sunday morning. Well, if we took 10 years, five years of reaching out, five years of discipling, in 10 years from now, we could be a church of 200 people. Now ask yourself, is that realistic? Could, could we do that? I mean, we pray for it, we work for it, we commit to it. Everybody does their part. You bet we could do that. That's something that feels really, really realistic to me. And then for 10 years after that, those 200 people now do that again. And those 200 people just choose one other person in their life. And they reach out and they share their faith so that 20 years from now, this church now has 400 people doing nothing else than reaching one person every 10 years. 50 years from now, at our 100th anniversary as a church, there'd be 3,200 people at this church. After 150 years of doing the same thing, any guesses? Be 100,000 people would have their lives touched by the people of this church. After 250 years, again, having each person reach only one other person every 10 years, it would mean 100 million people accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's 400 times more people than could be reached by a church that is only reaching 1,000 people every year. That church of 1,000 people every year would need, um, what is it, 100,000 years to catch up to the rate that this other church is saving people. Less than 60 years after that, every man, woman, and child on earth would have a chance to hear the gospel that began with one person here in the church today making a commitment to reach and disciple just one other person in their lives every 10 years. And that sounds very powerful. And it is, because that is exactly God's plan for his church. The call of Christ to his church is, you need to be a witness. Every person, every believer, just needs to share their faith with even one other person. And if that happens... The church becomes unstoppable. When we become obedient just to that simple thing of being witnesses of Jesus Christ. I mean, the bad news is 300 years from now, your pastor's going to be dead. <laughs> I won't see it. Uh, but it, that doesn't matter because this is not a work based on man. This is the work of God. This is not us building, you know, the Northgate Baptist Empire. This is us seeking to build the kingdom of God. And when I think about that, I'm always excited and inspired because it means that every single one of us 
can make a difference. And this maybe even could be another bonus lesson for us this morning, that in a breakout church, every person matters. Every person has a part that they can play. Because again, this is not some work of some charismatic leader or some new church growth strategy or some fancy program we put into place. This is simply every member of the body of Christ being obedient. And we can all be a part of the mission and the movement that will change the world. That means in a real way, living with the kind of obedience that the apostles did in this passage is simply, it's as close to us as the person down the street or the person across or, you know, the hall in the other office or you know, wherever you happen to meet that other person. Obedience is it's like right there. Because I want you to hear something else important this morning. You are the only you that there is. You're unique in all creation. And there are people who need to to hear the gospel that only you may be able to reach. There's people that only you know. Only you, out of all the people in this church, only you have access to them. There's people who may only trust you, not anyone else in this church, people who may only trust you to be the person to share the truth of Jesus Christ with them. And that's why we keep going. Because the breakout church also perseveres. And this is our final lesson. We just, we keep at it. As we see in verse 40, and when they'd called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The disciples were persecuted and they were arrested and they were beaten. And yet every day they got right back up and they did it all over again. And that's the attitude that wins the day. And understand, this is no light beating (laughs) that they received this day. Um, I mean, it wasn't a slap on the wrist. Uh, this, This was the kind of beating that would have left a person like bloody and raw. Like they would have had scars for life uh, because of what happened here. Some of them may have been, been crippled and walked with a limp. It was, it was a devastating, serious beating. And yet in churches today, I know there's people who give up on witnessing after 20 minutes if they don't get a response. But you know, reaching the loss is not a commitment we make for an hour or a day or a week, or a month, or even a year. It's a commitment we are to make for the rest of our lives. Reaching the lost, whatever the cost. Because I'll tell you the secret to witnessing. Secret to witnessing is to just do it. It's not to talk about it, it's not to read books about it, but to just do it and keep on doing it. Because tragically, the biggest obstacle to making disciples in all of history isn't a lack of training, it's not a lack of funds, it's not a lack of opportunity, it isn't opposition, it's not persecution or anything else like that. Tragically, the biggest obstacle to reaching the lost and making disciples is that most people just don't do it. It seems true what Jesus said to his followers in Matthew 9, verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And there are people out there beyond the walls of this church who are looking for a friend. They're looking for answers. They're looking for meaning. They are desperate. 
in need of hope. People who need to hear about Jesus and the life that he brings. And you know what? If an angel of the Lord showed up in our church this morning, I truly believe his message to each and every one of us would be exactly the same one he said to the apostles, go. Go to your place of work. Go to your neighborhood. Go to your school. Go to your friend's house. And speak to the people all the words of life. Go and tell people about Jesus. And our response should be the same as the apostles. Every day in the temple courts from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would help us to be a church. Help us to be a people that do not cease, do not stop um, telling people about life that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray that, Lord, you would just, in our hearts, um, give us that passion and give us that purpose. Um, give us that, that zeal for being witnesses of who Christ is and what he has done for our lives, that we would share our stories and share the good news with the people around us. And Lord, I know that's not easy. Uh, Lord, even as I preach this morning, I know I struggle with this. I know I'm not perfect. I know that it can be easy to forget. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to put other things first. It's easy to feel afraid and just to say to ourselves, I'll get it another time. And I pray that, Lord, you would help that in my own life and in my own heart and in the hearts of each person here. That you would make a breakthrough and help us to break out as a church and even as individuals, believers, to, to live in obedience and just share the message of life with the people around us. And that we would not stop, but, Lord, we would rejoice looking for those opportunities to see people saved, to live in obedience to bring people to Jesus and to glorify your name in all that we do. That you would make us a breakthrough church that is unstoppable as we live in obedience and share our witness of who Jesus Christ is with the world around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mark. And that's a really powerful image um, with the math analogy. It's